the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. All right, I'm not sure if you could hear that opening. <laughs> Welcome, good evening to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, uh, manning everything by myself again. And uh, I was trying to pull the Spooky South Coast theme off YouTube on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash spooky south coast. If you're not a subscriber, please join up right now. But who knows if it worked <laughs> or not. Uh, we've got uh, all kinds of tech here in the studio that uh, usually takes three people to run, and I'll be running it myself again tonight, same as last week. So not only am I trying to control everything here on the radio on WBSM, but I'm also controlling everything on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. So if you want to watch online and you can see what's going on in the studio. It's a little bit boring tonight because it's just me behind the microphone. But uh, you can join in there at SpookySouthCoast.com. Just click on the Live Show tab at the top of the screen and then find your way to the Spooky TV feed with the live chat room. And we have some people in the chat room already. I want to say hello to everybody there. It's a great place to pop in and chat about the show, chat about things that aren't related to the show, whatever's going on in your world. There's all kinds of great people in there each and every week. This is the program where we talk about the paranormal. You may have heard uh, earlier in the week here on WBSM some promotion for tonight's episode of My Ghost Story on the Bio Channel, uh, which is probably, well, I know it's definitely the number one rated show on the Bio Channel, but it's definitely up there in terms of cable television ratings as well. And on tonight's episode at 10 p.m., right now up against Spooky South Coast, is myself and Jeff Belanger speaking about our experiences at the Lizzie Boyd in Bed and Breakfast. So if you just decide to tune into the program tonight and you're DVRing my ghost story, that's awesome. If uh, you're listening to the program and you're waiting for the 2 a.m. replay of my ghost story, that's awesome too. And uh, we hope that you can let us know, those of you that are watching it and are going to kind of do both at the same time or join us a little bit later. Let us know how it goes because uh, the, the TV here in the studio doesn't get it, so I can't see you know, how it turned out. But I'll be watching it tomorrow morning. We were going to have a big premiere party, but uh, nobody wanted to go, so we decided not to do it. Obviously, nobody wanted to do anything because they left me here by myself for the night. Again, the second Saturday in a row that I've had to fly this ship solo. And let me tell you, it's not easy. It's like Han Solo in the Millennium Falcon without Chewbacca. We can say that. Because yesterday was May the 4th, Star Wars Day. You know, May the 4th be with you. So, uh, which is, uh, it's either a holiday on May 4th for Star Wars fans, or it's how somebody with a bad speech impediment uh, pronounces that line. So either way, it works. Tonight we're going to have an action-packed program for you. Uh, we're going to talk all kinds of paranormal topics. Coming up in the second hour, we're going to be joined by Marianne Brigando and Pamela Solomon Maccabee of New Jersey Paranormal Investigators. Check out their website, NewJerseyParanormalInvestigators.org. Now, you might have heard us talking about this for the last couple of weeks. There was that case in New Jersey, Tom's River, New Jersey, where a family purchased a house and then later found out it was haunted, and now they're trying to get their money back because it's a very Amityville horror-like, you know, how they didn't know about this uh, paranormal activity when they moved into the house, and now it's gotten so bad that they can't live there anymore, so they don't want to be stuck with this house because, 
you know, what, what good is it going to do you to own a house that you can't live in? So they're, uh, they're trying to get their money back for that house. So we'll get an update from Marianne and Pamela of New Jersey Paranormal Investigators. We'll talk about the phenomena that goes on in that house. We'll talk about their investigations into that house, as well as some of their other work. And we'll find out what the latest information is about that family and how things are going. But uh, before then, we're going to have the news lines open. I'm sorry, the news lines. The phone lines open uh, throughout the course of the show. The numbers are 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420 if you want to call in toll-free. Both those numbers are also up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well as the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. That's a good way to uh, try and get involved in the discussion there as well. And uh, And for those of you in the chat room who are wondering... Why I'm alone. It's uh, it's another one of those things where, <clears throat> excuse me, the silent assassin Matt Costa was supposed to be joining me, but uh, he couldn't get out of work in time. So I I knew Matt Moniz would not be here tonight. He's actually out in the field, and we're going to try and check in with him a little bit later on tonight. Uh, he's in a very unique investigation, and so he'll he'll hopefully be able to share some of those details with us. And we'll talk to him about the phenomenon that's going on there. Uh, he's there with Andrew Lake of Greenville Paranormal Research, and this is an interesting case because they've actually captured some good. Good evidence at this house in the past, as well as had some numerous personal experiences. And this is a house that I was actually interested in purchasing uh, about a about a half a year ago. I looked into it, but uh, when um, I spoke to a carpenter who I know who lives nearby, uh, he told me that it's not really structurally sound. It's a very old house, and the amount of money that it would cost to solidify the foundation and to make it, you know, not lean anymore because the house is kind of leaning at like a twenty degree angle. And the amount of work that it would have taken to put into that was beyond the scope of what I could afford. But uh, we'll talk with them about the the pending sale of the house and how things are going with that as well. Coming up a little bit later on in this hour. But what I was thinking was because tonight I'm sharing my ghost story on the Bio Channel, I'm hoping that some of you will call in and share your ghost story. Uh, just some of your paranormal experiences. Now, you can be uh, an investigator who's done this for a number of years and you want to share your first encounter with a spirit. You could be somebody who's never investigated the paranormal, never had an interest in investigating the paranormal, and you want to just share the first encounter that you had that lets you knew there was something beyond what's on this mortal realm. So if you want to call in, the number's again, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. And please call in and share. Remember, we don't judge anybody here on this show. We believe you. And uh, if you want to call and share your stories, feel free to do so. Now, uh, one other thing that I want to talk about, and this is something that I'm hoping that we can do a really in-depth episode of the program about later on, maybe coming up this summer. Uh, those of you who have listened to this program for a number of years, thank you for that, and who have also listened to the Backyard podcast episode, the infamous Off the Air episode, in which we really let our hair down and hung loose, uh, and also drank some alcoholic libations. But uh, if you remember that show, we talked about our experiences, myself, Matt Moniz, and Matt Costa, and what got us involved in the interest in the paranormal in the first place. And I talked about my aunt's house that she lived in when I was a teenager. And I recently had a chance to sit down and talk with my aunt and to find out some of the uh, stories that I hadn't heard yet some of these, and they're no longer in the house, but sometimes, you know, it takes a while for these stories to, to reach the surface. And there's been numerous nights where her and I and my uncle and, and my wife, we've all been sitting around the living room and talking about 
what went on in that house. But each time I speak with them, there's more things that I didn't know. There's more parts of the story that peel back and reveal themselves. So uh, we got really in-depth in the discussion the other day, and I want to do an entire episode on it. And I want to try and bring the family. It was my aunt, my uncle, and my two cousins. Uh, and they're both you know, grown up now. They have their own lives. Uh, one of my cousins has a family. He has a, a third child on the way. Congratulations. And uh, with... The, the four of them coming in and hopefully sitting down around these microphones and sharing their experiences with us, you'll get more of the insight into what it was that I grew up dealing with uh, in just my limited visits to their house. Uh, I used to stay over there in the summertime for a couple weeks. And so you'll see where I'm coming from with where I got involved uh, with the paranormal. But what I find to be the most interesting part about this is they moved out of that house uh, probably about 12 years ago, maybe a little bit more, 14 maybe, and the people who live in that house now, in a roundabout way, my cousin knows them. And from what he's been saying, it turns out the activity is not only still going on, but it's actually intensified over the years. So we're planning on trying to get in there sometime this summer and conducting an investigation. And I'm talking a full-out investigation. Uh, we'll put together our, our Cracker Jack team of investigators that we use frequently. I know that there's... Uh, some teams that have been investigating that area where, where this took place. I, I don't want to give away too many details right now, but it's in, it's in Halifax, Massachusetts. And uh, on this particular road, there's a number of haunted cases, a number of uh, incidents of paranormal phenomena, including UFO sightings. Uh, and from what I understand, there's also been Bigfoot sightings in this area over the years as well. It's in the Bridgewater Triangle, so that's not surprising. But uh, we're going to talk about some of the things that happened in that house uh, while we're there. You know, we're going to try and recreate some of that phenomena. We're going to try, hopefully, if we can pull this off, we're going to bring my cousins in and use them as trigger objects because the phenomena kind of revolved around both of them when they were teenagers. So I'm hoping that we can pull this all together and we can really make something unique out of it. And I know that we do our Bridgewater Triangle investigation episode every year. And believe me, we're going to do that again. That's going to be coming up. But I think this has the chance what's to going be something. On? Hey, I don't know and what's what going on. And what it means to you. This I is AM 1420 WBSM. Yeah, we'll just do that. There we go. So um, hopefully it gives you a little bit of an insight into what I grew up in. Hopefully it gives you a little insight into an actual haunted house, which, of course, we'll get more of that perspective later on from Marianne and Pamela from New Jersey Paranormal Investigators as well. But uh, there's there's a number of cases that paranormal investigators get involved with that are simply because they want to help the family. I mean, I know that there's a, a great deal of desire on the part of those who undertake this field to go out and capture evidence, to uh, hopefully get something interesting that will get people talking and get people thinking about the possibility of life after death. I know even in some cases, there's people who want to go out there and capture that, you know, that excellent piece of footage or that excellent EVP or whatever it is that will get them on television. I mean, everybody has their different reasons for the pursuit of the paranormal. But when you get involved in it, sooner or later, you're going to encounter somebody who needs your help. And you're going to encounter somebody who is undergoing a stressful situation that they don't understand. And they're going to be turning to you for guidance, for help, for an explanation for even just reassurance. And I wonder if we had been, I don't want to say as entrenched in the paranormal as we are these days, if there had been more of a mainstream focus on it back in the early 90s when my 
aunt's family was going through all of this, you know, could it have been that somebody could have came in and been reassuring to them at the time? Because it's something that was so stressful to their family, they didn't really talk about it amongst themselves. All this stuff kind of came out into the open years later. You know, it's kind of, uh, you know, the parents were talking about it, but they didn't want the kids to know. The kids were talking about it, but they didn't want the parents to know. And it was such a unique thing for me to be thrust in the middle of being, you know, just a visitor, an occasional visitor, and hearing both sides of the story. I didn't know what to think at the time. I didn't know what to believe. And I'm sure that there's people out there who have been in that same situation where, you know, they, they're in the middle of two differing sets of belief. And I, I definitely would like anybody to call in tonight that has been in a similar situation, maybe on the periphery of a haunted house. Uh, give us a call, 508-996-0500, Those are the numbers. And call up and discuss with us at any point during the show. When we do get into the discussion later on about this New Jersey case, naturally it's going to harken back to the Amityville case. I mean, that's what the mainstream media went with. You know, they, they heard about this story in New Jersey. They heard about this family that had to leave the house that they wanted to buy, their dream house. And they, they kind of instantly made that connection between this family and the Lutz family. So it, it's, it's definitely, there's similarities to it. We can get into a lot of the uh, discussion about the Amityville case, about the Lusses, about Christopher Quarantino, uh, who's been on the show, formerly known as Christopher Lutz, who actually maintains that George Lutz was heavily involved in the occult and that that played a part in what went on in the Amityville house. There are similarities to that. But we also have to treat this as its own unique case as well because it's a different family. It's a different haunting, and it's a different set of circumstances. It's too easy to try and make that tie together and say, well, this is just a family that's, you know, hoping to use the paranormal as their moneymaker. You know, they're coming out and they're trying to, to use this case, uh, to use this potential, uh, reported haunting to try and make a name for themselves and to basically, you know, hopefully make the Tom's River horror. That might be a little bit more of a stretch of a title. Doesn't, doesn't have the ring that the Amityville Horror has. But maybe they're trying to uh, find their own niche and their own way to make a little bit of money. So we'll find out when we talk to uh, our guests later on tonight, Marianne and Pamela, what they think are the motivations behind this family. Uh, it certainly sounds to me, in all the attempts that I've made to contact them, the family I'm speaking of, that uh, they're not actually seeking the spotlight, that they're actually kind of embarrassed by this happening, but they just don't want to be stuck holding the bill on a house that they can't live in. So uh, there's there's certainly, certainly some reason to speculate about that, though, because that's, that's the world that we live in today. That's the world that we have to deal with as paranormal investigators. We have to look at that possibility when we are getting involved with a case. Is it possible that this family just wants us to come in here and conduct an investigation because they want this house to be haunted, that they want to have their own specialness? Now, that specialness could be just to be different. It could be to try to make money. It could be for a variety of reasons, but it's something that we have to analyze and look at as paranormal investigators, and I'm sure that Marianne and Pamela had to look at that angle as well when dealing with this family, so we'll talk about it. All that. We'll also talk about wherever you want to bring the discussion. Now, I'm, I'm looking in the chat room here, and I see that we have 
uh, a number of folks in there. And I'm wondering if any of these people in the chat room on SpookySouthCoast.com would want to call in and share some of their first paranormal encounters, what it was that got them involved in it. So uh, if you want to, the number is 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. And again, those numbers are going to be open throughout the course of the night. So if you have questions while we're talking to Pamela and Marianne about this Tom's River, New Jersey case, uh, feel free to uh, call in and ask those questions again. And uh, while we have a minute here, I want to remind everybody about tomorrow's big event happening at the Seaport Inn and Marina right here in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. We have the South Coast Toy and Comic Show. It uh, It's a biannual event. It happens a couple times a year. And uh, this is going to be a big one because uh, admission for adults is only $8. Kids from 5 to 12 are $5. And kids 5 and under are free. Now, what do you get for that entrance fee? My gosh, what don't you get? There's going to be a number of comic book artists there selling their work. Uh, there's going to be a number of crafters there selling their work as well. And uh, let's see what else here. Well, on the list of guests, they have uh, Honky Tonk Man was originally uh, scheduled to be there, Honky Tonk Man from the WWE, but uh, he's unable to make it. So replacing him will be Raven, who has wrestled in WWE, WCW, TNA, and ECW. Uh, also uh, will be uh, some cast members from Star Wars. We have Erin Gray from Buck Rogers, and those of you who aren't into sci-fi might know her from uh, Silver Spoons. <laughs> as, as I remember watching her growing up. And uh, Claudia Wells, who played Jennifer Parker in the first Back to the Future film, is going to be there as well. John Doomsday Howard, Ultimate Fighter, is going to be there. Horror show host Uncle Fright and local wrestler The Devil's Reject Brandon Webb, they will all be in the house, as well as a number of artists, as I mentioned before, uh, who will be there selling their artwork and their originals. Uh, again, it is tomorrow. It is at the Seaport Inn and Marina in Fairhaven. And tickets are only $8. And if you go to South Coast Toy and Comic com, you can find out more information. Uh, again, the Seaport Inn and Marina is at 110 Middle Street in Fairhaven. Uh, there's also going to be a couple of incredible shows put on by the RKO Army at 1.30, Dr. Horribles, and at 4 o'clock, Firefly Out of Gas. So th- these people actually do live performances of some of these episodes. So that's really cool. And uh, there's going to be TV cars there as well. The General Lee's going to be there, and there's going to be a DeLorean there. I, I did not realize that one of the Back to the Future DeLoreans were going to be here. I thought that wasn't going to be until the Rhode Island Comic Con uh, coming up in November. So my plans for tomorrow morning just changed. <laughs> I will definitely be at the South Coast Touring Comic Show at some point because I want to get my picture taken with Claudia Wells and uh, and that DeLorean. So check that out now uh we got some questions uh coming from the chat room about when you want to call in call in anytime call in right now 508-996-0500 hopefully if one person will come forward and share their first encounter with a ghost then that maybe that'll get the ball rolling so that other people will feel comfortable sharing their first experience with a ghost uh, the idea behind spooky south coast is to educate and inform people about the paranormal, but to also make them feel comfortable about talking about the topic. You know, that's the other thing, too, is it's, it's easy. Hey, watch it, Vincent, Silver Spoons, now that's old. I still remember the very special episodes. But uh, you know, the idea is if we can make this an open forum where people can feel comfortable sharing it, then they'll feel a little bit more comfortable about what happened to them. So anybody that wants to call in, please do so now. 508 996 
1-877-996-1420. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll have more of Spooky South Coast coming up in just a few minutes. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, flying solo, because science advisor Matt Moniz is out in the field, and the silent assassin Matt Costa is stuck at work. So we are asking you to call in with some of your first encounters with a ghost. If you've had one, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. Let's go to the phone lines. You have a couple calls lined up already, or not. Let's try that again. Again, one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. How are you? Uh, doing very well. Uh, now, you, have you had an experience with a ghost? Well, um, yeah, I have. Uh, my first real one uh, that I cannot discount at all. Uh, we were in Belize last year, and. Uh, we were doing some cave tours, um, and we were in this this cave um, that's completely shut off. They just like started uh, doing excavation on it and on some archaeological work. And um, one of the the rumors was that that's where they would do beheadings of kids and whoever sacrifices mm-hmm. uh, to. And um, they were. Uh, that are all roped off, and it's pitch black in there. I mean, it's blacker than black. But uh, anyways, we were walking by, and me and my wife and the tour guide, we were uh, walking by, and I noticed something moving in there, which is <laughs> very hard to do, seeing as it's black. But these, what it looked like people were moving in there, but they were blacker than what the black was. Sure, yeah. And, and so... When I talked to the tour guide, he was like, yeah, actually, that's um, that's reportedly haunted. And the tour guides or the rangers that keep the area secure at night won't go in there. Um, and he said, uh, because they've had stuff thrown at them, um, and they hear people talking. Uh, and so, you know, that, that was my real first paranormal experience that I could not discount or say this, it was this or that. But that was that was my first. Well, I mean, and that's a, the, the shadow person type phenomena is, is something that a lot of people are reporting these days. It seems like that's becoming uh, more common than actually having the full body apparition encounter that uh, is the classic ghost encounter. Now, when, when it happened, I mean, did you realize right then and there what it was? Or is it something that, you know, you had to kind of take a step back and, and research a little bit more to find out, you know, what these shadow people are all about? Well, I really, I've heard of shadow people before, and what I wanted to make sure I wasn't doing was just imagining that it was somebody there. So we were sitting there for a while, I mean, for like five minutes. They were, you know, they were there, and I was trying to take, kind of see if I could take pictures, but it was so misty in there that you couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, your, you know, your film would come out, or your uh, digital images would come out. Um, but you know, doing a little more research on it, and, and I found it really interesting that, you know, the tour guide never mentioned anything about it, and then whenever I, you know, said something to him, he was like, "Oh yeah, people have seen this stuff before." You know, this is and the rangers, you know, they won't go in there at night. 
And, and for them to be willing to talk about it like that, you know, it must be something that that's pretty profound and, and pretty common because normally that's the kind of thing they try to keep under wraps. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for calling in and sharing. All right, have a good night. All right, let's go to the next call. Uh, good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Hey, Tim. It's Carl. Hey, Carl. What's going on? Carl Wood from Phantom P.I. Yes, good to see you. We watched the show tonight and was excellent. Really? Hey, yes. it, it sounds like you're putting your radio voice on tonight. I'm trying not to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got some things in the works. You've got some uh, some programming of your own uh, yes. coming up. You've, you've had two episodes now of Phantom P.I. that have aired? We have two. We have some investigations coming up that are going to be very exciting. Um, and I just want to give a shout-out to the, the Phantom P.I. ladies and the crew. Um, Stephanie Burke is a little under the weather right now. I just wanted to give a shout-out to her and say I hope you're feeling better very soon. Yeah, um, and it was good seeing you Tuesday night. Yeah, it's always great hanging out with you. Thank you for helping me. We were yeah. working on a on a film project for a friend, so hopefully we can talk about that some more yeah. down the line. And I know that you've got some other things in the works that we'll be talking about sometime yeah, down absolutely. the future. Now, well, what what was your first encounter with, with the spirit? I believe that my very first encounter with uh, a spirit was when I was very, very young um, in the Bridgewater Triangle um, when I was living in West Bridgewater, Massachusetts. Um, I remember as a small child getting out of the bed in the middle of the night and walking into the hallway and encountering a young girl who spoke who I saw and spoke to me um, which is which is very unusual um, if it were a true true spirit or a ghost usually you just see them not hear them or the other way around but this this young lady came up to me and spoke to me and she seemed concerned um, that I was young and my family was asleep and I was you know wandering down the hallway uh, and she asked me where I was going I said you know I'm going to the bathroom and she said don't you know it's the you know the edge of night and What's wow. very what's very strange about that is um, this is a long time ago. I'm kind of uh, dating myself on this, but the edge of night used to be a soap opera. I was going to ask, was she, was she watching the soap opera? <laughs> well, she, she may have been, um, and I thought nothing of it, and I kind of just shrugged it off and, and went about my business. And you know, we moved out of that house, and we years later moved into a house that was active, and that's where I began to question things and look for answers and decades later i was speaking with my brother and sister and i and i told them about that and they were kind of looking odd at each other mm -hmm. and i said well what's up with that and they said well you didn't know it at the time but we used to hear breathing in the room that we slept in and i said really what's that got to do with you know my story they said well we got so concerned about it that we called dad in to see if it was something to do with the heater or, or something like that and uh, he checked it out and it wasn't he said, but we definitely were very um you know scared by this labored breathing that we heard at night and uh they told me that they had gone next door uh, to talk to a neighbor lady just you know not about that in particular but um, when they were speaking with this older woman she said oh there was a girl that lived in that house before you uh, she was very petite, uh, and she was 17 years old, and she lived in the room that you were in, uh, in an oxygen tent. She passed oh, away wow. in there. Wow. Um, and the way that 
she described the girl to them and they described it to me is what I remember as a young child. Um, they said there was nobody in the house at that time. That was the very first thing. Well, that's and that's what it would take, I think, to get somebody going. Well, thank you for calling. Uh, you are welcome. We hope to see you soon, and uh, good luck with everything. All right, talk to you soon. Okay, Tim. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, again, if you want to call in, the numbers are 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Good. Yourself? Oh, spooktacular. <laughs> spooktacular. That's awesome. <laughs> um, well, I have an experience. I grew up in Bridgewater. And uh, I was in my early 20s, and uh, I was uh, living in the basement, um, sharing the basement with my uh, sister's boyfriend, and they had had a fight, so that's why we ended up, you know, sharing the basement, right? Mm -hmm. So a couple of nights, he's down there, and I hear my name, and I'm like, what? He's like, what? (laughs) And I'm like, what, dude, you know? So this went on like a couple of nights in a row, I hear my name, and then... He starts saying, what? What do you want? And I'm like, I didn't say anything, right? So this goes on for about a week. And I'm sitting there one night, and I'm, like, staring in the dark. And you know how, like, you look at a light bulb, then you look away, and you see, like, that glow of the light? Like the after image, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Well, I had already been laying there for about 15 or 20 minutes in the dark. And I'm seeing this image, and I'm kind of, like, looking at it going, that's weird, you know, just staring with my eyes open up and then I look but I look in the other side of the room and the image don't move you know how like it lags if you move your eyes or whatever mm-hmm. this thing just stayed stationary so I'm like that's really strange so I says to Tom I says Tom wake up he's like what I says look over at the window and tell me what you see and two seconds later he's like I don't know what that is man but I'm out of here so we book upstairs, and my sister's up there, and she's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, I don't know what's down there, man, but we just seen something. We're all excited, right? So my sister says, why do you think I sleep with a TV on? Ah. I'm, I'm like, what are you talking about? Because, like, I had just gotten back, you know, like I hadn't been living there for years, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And uh, she's telling me, like, she hears things and this and that and the other thing, and I'm like, this is the house we grew up in, too. Now, I never experienced anything before or whatever, but I can tell you that was, like, the freakiest thing that ever happened. And I'm like, you know, it, me and Tom were both like, we didn't want to go back down there. You know, it took a day or so before I, like, went down there, and I'm, like, kind of, like, just felt creeped out, like someone was staring or watching me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I wonder, too, if you, you said that they were having some issues, they were having some problems between the two of them. That could have stirred up something that was already there, or even if you want to get really in-depth in some of the theory of it, it could have actually created what was there as well. An entity could have been created you, by the energy that they're putting out. They were having some serious issues. There was no doubt about it. You know, um, me and Tom worked together and stuff like that, and I know that they were like on a really kind of bad course with one another, and they didn't last much longer after that anyway. So mm-hmm. that's weird that you say that because that might be – that negative energy type thing, maybe? Well, that's something, too, that I was talking earlier in the program about my aunt's house. And it, what's interesting about that, first of all, there's a correlation where my, my aunt used to always sleep with the TV on, too, because she didn't want to hear things in the night either. But uh, in that particular house, there had been a history of couples that had lived there that had all broken up. 
Uh, I think it was the previous six tenants were all married couples that uh, ended in divorce while they lived in that house. And I guess my aunt and uncle came dangerously close to that point before they finally moved out of there. So uh, sometimes it, it does. Now, you know, it's odd that you bring that up because thinking back, when uh, my parents bought that house, that was that house is like only a couple years old. It was just built. This is like back in like 1968. Mm-hmm. And um, the couple that built it got divorced. That's why the house went up on the market. My parents got it for a steal because they were just wanting to get rid of it and get away from each other. Yeah, just move on, yeah. My parents, five years, within five years after they moved there, were divorced. Jeez, um, that's weird because after my family moved out, another family moved in, and they were friends of my sister. That's who bought it from us. And I think they got divorced, too. Weird. Now, do you mind if I ask you uh, where the house was located, what town? Yeah, Bridgewater. Okay, yeah, that's right. You did say that. Yeah, beginning. right off uh, Main Street, yeah. Yeah, well, that, this house was in Halifax that I'm talking about. We're not that far off. So some real common similarities there for, <laughs> for that some... Is, that is weird, though, because I, I never even thought of that before. But now that you brought that up, I'm, like, thinking back. Huh. No. I don't know. Again, it goes back to that chicken and the egg. You know, was the was the phenomena straining their relationship, or was their relationship strain causing the phenomena? It could go either way. All right. Well, thank you for calling in and sharing. Yeah. You have a good night, man. You too. Bye bye. And now, if you want to call in and share, we have a few minutes left here in the first hour. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. And uh, see, this is what's good about this is you're able to to share these experiences and we can actually find some common themes in some of them. We can find some common experience in some of them. And it really brings us, I think, closer together as uh, those who have an interest in the paranormal to realize that a lot of the strange things that happen to us might be similar to the strange things that happen to other people as well. And again, I, I can't get over the fact that there are those similarities between my aunt and uncle's case and the case that that caller just was mentioning. So especially knowing that they're pretty much a stone's throw from each other between Bridgewater and Halifax, and they are right in the heart of the Bridgewater Triangle. But what about all you New Bedford folks? What about all you Dartmouth and Fairhaven folks? I know some of you must have had some ghostly encounters over the years because I know that I chronicled a number of them in my first book, Ghosts of the South Coast, uh, which is for sale wherever fine books are sold. And also, uh, we're going to be having them up on the website, SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, in the coming days, uh, there'll be autographed versions of the book. So uh, I know, I know, I, I don't really like to think that I'm somebody who people want an autographed copy of the book from. But, you know, some of my author friends have suggested I start doing it. So we're going to do that. We're going to put some uh, signed copies of Ghosts of the South Coast up for sale. Of course, they can be personalized to whoever you want. So, you know, if you want to buy them for a friend or as a gift or whatever you want to do, just check out SpookySouthCoast.com. And also, while we're on the promotion kick, we were talking earlier about how tonight's episode of My Ghost Story features myself and Jeff Belanger sharing our experiences from the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast in Fall River. We actually have four tickets left, just four tickets, for our Legend Trips event, Dead of Summer 2012, on August 25th, at the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast. There's going to be uh, lectures from myself and Jeff Belanger. There's going to be hours of investigation of the house. Uh, you get to investigate each floor separately. Uh, we break everybody up into small groups. There's only 25 tickets being sold total. 
And these Lizzie events always sell out, but for some reason there's still four tickets left. And I, I'm surprised that that's even happened because the pre-sale things move so quickly. Uh, but if you want to grab up some of those last tickets, they're $135, and uh, the website is legendtrips.com. You'll be able to get dinner. You'll be able to get those lectures. You'll get a historical tour of the Lizzie Boyd and Ben and Breakfast, and you'll also have the chance to investigate. Uh, I think it's something like uh, four or five hours of investigation. We go from uh, we're going to go from 6:30 p.m. to 2 a.m. for the entire event. And uh, so, legendtrips.com is the website. Again, four tickets remain, so jump on those now, because as soon as people uh, watch my ghost story tonight and they start Google searching the Lizzie Boyd and Ben and Breakfast, they're going to hit on that Legend Trips website. And if they want to come and investigate for themselves, those tickets are going to go fast. So legendtrips.com is the site to go to. Uh, you can also get there through spookysouthcoast.com as well. We have another call here on the line. If you want to call in and share your first encounter with a ghost or a spirit, or if you haven't had your first encounter and you're hoping to, you can just buy those tickets to the Dead of Summer event. We don't guarantee the ghost. We only guarantee the good time, but you never know what could happen. All right, let's go to the phones. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Hey, Tim, it's Mark in Easton. How you hey, doing? Hey, Mark, how's it going? It's going well. Well, uh, hopefully you can share with us your f- first encounter with a ghost. Sure. My uh, my first one was when I went to uh, Anawan Rock with Greg Onorato from the Berkshire Paranormal Group. Mm-hmm. He was training for, I used to be a, a trainer at my old job, and uh, he happened to be a guard. He saw my spooky South Coast uh, sticker on my laptop, <laughs> so he started asking me about it, and uh, so we went out. We went out to Anawan Rock, and we were up there. We had the night vision goggles, uh, night vision camera going, and we had the K2 meter, and uh, no voice recorder, though. And we're out there, and, you know, you could hear sticks and stuff in the woods, but it's it's in the woods, you know, so I'm not thinking too much about that, really. But we got no results, and I remember being really disappointed, you know. This is a paranormal kiddie pool. Everybody gets results. So we put all the equipment away. It's freezing cold. It's like, uh, like 33, 34 degrees, you know. So I put everything in the uh, truck. We just started up. And then all of a sudden, flitting between the trees, you can see, like, you know, when you cook on the grill and it's all, like, wavy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get those, like, heat lines almost? Yeah. You can see one darting from one tree to another. And then there was another one. And then there was another one. And then another one. And now there were about 14 or 16 of these things flitting between the trees and then coming, like, towards the truck. So, uh... I pulled the Scooby-Doo, and, all right, let's go. So we got the heck out of there. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and afterwards, I'm like, ah, oh, that was crazy. i got to get back. And then I, uh, after that, I won a ticket to go to uh, the McKinstry House with the Tongue Paranormal Group. And so we're doing an investigation there. And uh, I'm in a room, and there's, there's four other people, two of which are psychics. And it was the anniversary of a murder that happened there 250 years ago. It's uh, right in town, right off the green. It's mm-hmm. the St. Thomas Episcopal Church. Oh, yeah. And the the, um, the rectory house, one of the guys I, I work with at my current job, he works there. He goes, you're in all that normal stuff. So I go, yeah. He goes, we're having hits on the motion detectors, but there's nothing on the perimeter alarms, just on the inside. So I'm like, well, do you have balloons or anything? They flow around. From some event, there's no, no, no. We don't even use it. There's barely any furniture. No one's been in there for two years. Hmm. I'm like, geez, that's kind of weird. So I go, yeah, you should get a hold of the group, and uh, you know, I don't know enough yet, you know, but but absolutely, uh, get a hold of a group, see if they'll do it. So we hooked up with 
talking paranormal group guys, so they went in there and they said, oh yeah, they're definitely getting the vibe. And uh, so they raffled off money, the money went to the church, and uh, so I happened to win, so it worked out real well for me. <laughs> so I went, so I'm, I'm in the room, and out of the five people total in my group, two of which were psychics, and right away they're getting the feeling of a, a male, a large black male, that wasn't allowed in the room, didn't feel comfortable in the room. So there's three doors off this room, right? So I go, huh, well, why don't we choose another room? So they go, okay, Mark, that's a good idea. Which door do you want? Oh, it doesn't matter to me. Just choose one. All right, how about that one? Okay. So we take a step towards the door, and all of a sudden, whoosh, the door just swings open. And I'm like, get out of here. So now, instead of running the other way, now I'm bolting out the door to figure out what's out there. No one's in the hall. I'm like, what the heck? So we go back, we close the door. We try stepping on the, the wood, maybe the... You know, the old floorboards pop the door, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and we couldn't get it to move at all. So I'm like, huh, that's weird. So then we go in the next room, and <clears throat> afterwards, when you're watching the video, you can see, as I walk through the door, this, like, green bowtie-looking thing that I'd never seen before in any other show or anything flew right by my face. And I've wow. taken martial arts for a while. I'm a pretty jumpy guy. And I didn't hear wings of a, of a, you know, a bug or anything. I didn't make any notice of it all on the video. You just see me walk right out the door. And it, it was right by my face. There's no way I wouldn't have seen it. But it was, it was there in video. Wow. But it was the weirdest thing. So we go in the next room and we close the doors. And now they're not in the presence of the large black male. They're in the presence of a small female instead. So, huh. Okay. So I'm the only guy in the group, and so we're, you know, we're doing the classic, you know, can you make a noise, can you let yourself be known? Sure, yeah. And you hear a scrape down the wall, and then, you remember in high school, those little things that would level the chair, that little, like, cylinder, silver thing? Oh, yeah, little, like, disc things? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, this thing goes rolling across the floor. It just came out of nowhere, and it just rolled across the floor, so we're like, what the, thank you. So we put it up on the mantle because there's uh, there are 14 fireplaces in that house. So we put it up on top of the mantle, and uh, I'm over in the corner, and I'm like, geez, that's weird. So they're saying, and it, it was another one. It was cold in there because it was, I forget what month it was, but it was cold. It was barely any heat because they never used the, the house, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm over in the corner trying to stay out of it because they're filming their thing for their show, you know. And... All of a sudden, I'm feeling perspiration on my nose, and I'm feeling the, the the warmth of a hug around my shoulders, but not the pressure, but just the warmth. Yep. And then, again, they say, can you touch one of us? And right away, I get a, a tap right on the back of my neck right there. And uh, that was it. I'm absolutely hooked. Nice. Now, anytime anyone's doing an investigation, boom. Oh, let's go. I'll take you there. <laughs> we'll all go right. right down. I know all the spots. Let's go. Well, thank you for sharing. We got Moniz calling in now from the field, so we'll find out if he's having oh, any similar experiences. Thanks so much for calling, Mark. You're welcome, Tim. All right, Thanks. have a good night. Bye bye. All right, so let's go right to science advisor Matt Moniz, who is out in the field tonight. Uh, good evening, Matt. How's it going? All right, brother. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing spectacular. Second week in a row now that I've been manning the show completely on my own, and so far so good. Excellent, excellent. Well, you know what you're doing in there. Uh, not really, but I can fake it. <laughs> Spent the evening so far. The 
Farring House, not the Farring Tavern, but the Farring House. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was joined by uh, Andy Lake and had uh, Tiffany and uh, Stephanie from Spirit Connections drop by. We conducted a little experiment. I went upstairs with Stephanie, and Andy stayed downstairs with Tiffany, and we um, we started and we met in the middle and then switched floors and then compared notes. And it seemed like both girls definitely did pick up on all the salient points in the house, and both of them came up with the appropriate names associated for each room and floor and point of activity, which I found interesting. Now, neither of them had been there before, and I wanted to keep them separate, you know, so they weren't just feeding off each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they both picked up on all of the correct points, including for the history of the house. So I found that extremely interesting. And then uh, we were dealing with a little EVP section and stuff on the second floor, and we're hearing people walking around on the third floor. And uh, it was it's definitely an interesting evening. Let's put it that way. Well, is the is I know the house was for sale. Has it been sold? No. Okay, but these people you won't you've only got a few more chances to investigate, though, right? Before yeah, a couple more weekends. But you know, until the house is sold, I have access periodically. Let's just call it that. Periodically. Is it, is it still leaning about twenty degrees, or is it is it getting a little bit worse? Uh, it's it's interesting because yeah, some of the rooms are definitely not square. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially on the third floor. More like a rhombus-shaped room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and that, of course, this is the location where where Andy Lake caught that awesome uh, uh, picture on the full spectrum camera uh, right. of the strange. Uh, you know, I, I got to say, it, it, I know some people see like the shape of a woman with a bonnet, but to me, it kind of looks like a big penis. Yeah, it's, 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 some people have referred to it as a. <laughs> but we took a series of photographs tonight of people standing in that same location. So we we know that the height of the individual, let's just call it that, that's in the photograph, has got to be about roughly three to four inches shorter than me. Okay, so, and that definitely does not fit anybody else that was in the house at that time. Mm-hmm. It, it, the, the photograph that Andy took looks like a short male person with a Ben Franklin type of haircut. Okay, and number one, we know it's not me. Uh, we know it's not uh, the other woman that was in the house who happened to be a black woman wearing a baseball cap. It wasn't the bald individual who owns the house, or it wasn't my friend Carrie who looks nothing like that and had her hair in a ponytail. Mm-hmm. So it didn't fit any person that was in the house, you know, at least living, if you know what I mean, <laughs> us. And uh, Andy was very methodical about when he was taking the photographs there, and he made sure that there was nobody walking around hey, where we were. We, we were all sorry about that. We had a commercial fire off. Well, uh, that is uh, kind of the computer's way of telling us that we're up against the news break. Now uh, you will let us know about how this investigation though goes, though, and you'll uh, you'll share any findings that come up on a spooky uh, future episode of Spooky South Coast, right? Certainly, most well, certainly. All right. Well, thank you so much for calling and checking in. Stay safe out there. We're going to be talking to the investigators of that New Jersey haunted house that uh, the owners are trying to get their money back. So we'll let you know how things go with that, too. All right. Excellent. And you're doing a great job, Tim. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, you guys keep doing what you do out the field. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Later. All right. Later. That is uh, science advisor Matt Moniz 
of the Spooky South Coast program. So uh, they're out there at that fearing house, so you can find out more about them. Uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes coming up after the news here on Spooky South Coast. In the meantime, feel free to go to SpookySouthCoast.com or LegendTrips.com and pick up the last uh, the last few tickets for that uh, investigation. All right, we'll be right back with more on Spooky South Coast. Congress and the Yard Council. your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. All right, welcome back to the show. A little impromptu intro music there since I forgot my iPod, <laughs> so I don't have the theme. And uh, my apologies there for people who are looking forward to the 11 o'clock news. I don't know what happened. I could hear it in my headphones uh, very faintly, but I couldn't bring it up on the air. So uh, I'm just a technical marvel behind the board. Why they keep letting me in here, I don't know. But uh, this is Spooky Cell Coast where we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. And uh, I see the phone line is ringing here. Uh, we are about to talk with our guests, Marianne Brigando and Pamela Solomon Maccabee of New Jersey Paranormal Investigators. But I see that we have a call here on uh, line three. So let's just take that real quick. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? A little one-man crew. <laughs> doing a great job solo. <laughs> really are. Thank you very now, much. Now, I know you uh, and uh, the Mats or uh, Wareham guys involved with the Historical Society there. Do you have any contact with the Bourne Historical Society? Uh, I'm sorry, which one? Bourne. Bourne Historical. No, I don't. Well, many years ago, so it says 1970, I received a brochure from them of you know, points of interest that was always in the history. Mm-hmm. And they one of the places was called Sacrifice Rock. Oh, yeah. You been there? No, I haven't been there, but I've I've heard about it. Yeah, and uh, you want me to read the little paragraph here? Uh, sure, if you can quickly, because we do have some uh, okay. some guests coming on. The time of arrival of pilgrims, a tribe of Indians known as the Manamets, were known to make human sacrifices on a large rock in Borndale. Missionary Richard Bourne could not persuade them to cease, and exclaimed, "If you do not stop your horrible work, I will call upon my God to visit wrath upon you." When the Indians disregarded him, it was reported that a vivid flash of lightning encompassed the rocks, splitting it into numerous strangely strangely shaped pieces, killing both Indians and victims. Today, broken pieces of the rock can still be seen. Okay, so I went up there to take a look at it, found out, you know, uh, Herring Pond Road in Bourndale. Mm-hmm. And as I was getting near a beautiful day, I had a girlfriend with me, uh, but it started getting cloudy, and the wind started swirling, and I heard somebody say, Brother, draw no nearer. Wow. I heard a voice, and it wasn't my girlfriend. I said, What did you say? She said, I didn't say anything. And uh, I was just looking at, you know, just pieces of uh, granite or whatever the heck kind of rock it was, kind of overgrown, and, and I just tried to get a little closer again, and I just felt something repel me, and somebody said, Well, I guess that's it. We went back. 
as we're going back to the car, it wasn't too far from the road, you would start hearing thunder in the mm. distance and the storms. And that was about it. That was my only experience, but it was an interesting one. Well, it sounds like definitely something worth checking out. I don't live that far from there, and I ride my motorcycle up there all the time. Ah, now, is there anything, too? I've been to a place in Wareham a couple of times. Indian Mound Beach, is that actually a burial area? Uh, I used to live in Indian Mound Beach uh, when I was younger, and uh, I, I've never found any um, proof of that. Uh, there there are stories about that, though, that uh, out there on the banks of uh, Buttermilk Bay, they, that, that's where they used to bury their dead, but I, I've never seen any evidence of that. I, I think that the idea of it being a mound has more with the fact that uh, it's it's a hilly area, so there was kind of an, an uphill area that overlooked Buttermilk Bay. Ah, hey, I'm glad Moniz is checking out the Fearing House. Is anywhere near the tavern? Or? Actually, it's not. It's a, it's a couple miles away. It's almost in West Wareham. Uh, it's down on, on Fearing Hill Road, which is, uh, if you go past downtown Wareham and you get to what's called the Lincoln Hill area, you keep yeah. going past like where the, uh, where the, um, uh, what's, what's the area called? I can't think of the name of it now, but it's where Springborn Laboratories is. It's, uh, where the Herring Run is down in that neck of the woods. You keep going past okay. all that and then it's kind of out what probably would have been a very, uh, wooded area and not very heavy, heavily populated back in the Fearing days. So it's, oh, uh, it's, uh... So this is uh, from the same era as the tavern. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's about two hundred years later. Ah, so maybe maybe one hundred and fifty. It's a, if you actually if you look it up, I think it's eighty nine Fearing Hill Road. I don't want to give the address away on on the yeah. air, but we were talking about it, and it is for sale. You can see pictures of the house on on the website uh, where it's for sale and find out more about its history. Ah, now is the any remnants of the Fearing family still living? Oh yeah, there's there's still uh, those who are descendants of them. Uh, I don't know too many with the last name Fearing, or as we say in where in the old days where him they said Faring. Uh, so there hasn't been a lot of that line still around, but uh, there are descendants of that family, and there are descendants of all the uh, original families uh, of Wareham still in town as well. You know, Bessies are still around, um, and numerous others too. That's terrific. Oh, I love your work, not only in the paranormal, but history, uh, which I'm a big fan of. And you do a lot to bring it forth to people, and I thank you all. Well, thank you very much for the call. Okay, good evening. Have a great night. All right, well, now that uh, we are ready here to speak with our guests tonight, Marianne Brigando and Pamela Solomon Maccabee of New Jersey Paranormal Investigators, they are joining us on the line tonight to talk about the very interesting case in Tom's River, New Jersey. Good evening, Marianne. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. How are you, Tim? Oh, we are spooktacular, as we say here. And Pamela, how about yourself? I'm doing fine, thanks. All right. And uh, thank you both for joining us. I know that uh, we've been trying to get a hold of you here for a while, but uh, you know, we, we say that sometimes the, with the modern technology we have issues with voicemails and leaving calls for each other, but maybe sometimes it's the spirit world just not wanting us to get together. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Marianne, why don't you tell us a little bit about New Jersey Paranormal Investigators? New Jersey Paranormal Investigators was started um, by myself and Pamela back in 2009. And our reason for starting it was um, we had been members of various paranormal groups. And we took really what we liked the best from each group and decided to go out on our own and form our own group at that point. Um, we have about 20 members. When we do home investigations, we only bring four to five members for sure. obvious reasons. We can't bring 20, 23. 
Um, we've been everywhere from Kentucky up to Massachusetts. And um, we've done a little bit, probably close to 20 investigations to date. And now, uh, Pamela, what types of approaches do you use as investigators? Um, well, we approach it, each of the investigations with a, um, a scientific mind. Um, mm-hmm. We go out there uh, and investigate each house individually or each piece of property individually. We listen to the claims and uh, we see if we can debunk the claims or duplicate the claims and... Um, we can, then we, you know, see what we can come up with, or, you know, perhaps it's paranormal, we'll say, you know, it's paranormal. Now, is it a matter, too, of, uh, you know, say you're trying to approach it from a scientific perspective, too, but you also have to take into account, you know, the, the religious factors of your clients, you have to take into account the psychological factors. I'm assuming that you have a big, uh, you know, pre-investigation interview that you do with the clients to find out more about them. Yes, we do. We do a telephonic um, pre-investigation um, interview, which is very lengthy because we do get um, we do get a large volume of calls. Um, we I can honestly say that we don't go out on every investigation that we get a call on mm-hmm. because of some of the psychological factors um, that come into play, and um, we. We tend to actually reject a lot of requests for investigations based on um, whether it be psychological issues, believe it or not, drug issues, alcohol issues. Um, we get all those type of phone calls. We also do take into consideration the religious denomination or beliefs of that individual and what they will and will not allow us to do. Well, the reason that I ask is because we talked about at the beginning of the program, uh, a lot of the media has picked up the the Amityville connection kind of to this Tom's River case of the fact that it's a family that moves into a house, they buy this house, they they don't stay there for a very long period of time, and then, you know, they're looking to get their money back. Uh, How how was it that you came about uh, to to come involved with this case? What happened with that was... um, the woman had called me, and she was frantic. And she had told me that she had just moved into her home on March 1st. And on March 3rd, she had checked into a hotel with two children. Um, when I asked her why, she explained to me that um, things were being thrown around the house. Um, she was hearing things. She was seeing things. Um, and... I asked her two girls, one was age 12 and one was age 14, so the first thing I thought was poltergeist activity. That was the first thing that came to my mind. Um, And when we went to go do the investigation, um, for the first two hours, nothing happened at all in the house. Um, After the second two hours, we decided to actually involve Michelle, that's the name, in, in the investigation in that if there was an entity in this home, for her to call it out and to prove it to us. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, you know, we have a DVR system hooked up, and we had a mag light that we were using, and the mag light was set off, and we were in a basement, 
and we wanted to find out whether this was residual or an act of haunting. And what had happened was we told Michelle to start asking questions and to demand demand that this entity didn't in fact leave. When she would ask the questions, um, the flashlight would actually go on once for yes and twice for no. Clearly, it would clearly brighten up. And um, this went on for a good 45 minutes, so we kept mm-hmm. up this correspondence with this entity. Uh, we, we would ask you questions like, did it know Michelle? Did it like Michelle? Did it like Josh, her boyfriend? And we would get yes or no answers. You know, we asked, you know, did you know, do you, do you know your dad? Um, typical questions that we would ask. But we were able to engage this entity for a total of about 45 minutes. And um, she did, as you know, and as it's been in paper, she did take the case to court. We don't know the outcome of that yet, um, but she did take the case to court with well, the evidence. What what kind of, you know, what kind of uh, phenomena must have been happening in, in those few days that she was there for her to have moved out so quickly? I mean, it must have been pretty intense. Uh, normally, when you move into a house, you know, there's some some degree of getting accustomed to it. So, you know, you got to think that they'd probably dismiss, you know, the creaking sounds and things like that. It must have been pretty overt phenomena to chase them out of there so quickly. She she claimed that her biggest claim was um, there was a lot of stuff, and this happens also, of course, and when you move, you tend to misplace things, but there were things that she swore had gone missing, um, which was one of the questions that we asked of this entity uh, where these belongings were, and we did get answers. Um, She just swore that she was seeing shadows, Mm -hmm. um, and she she just sounded the desperation in her voice, and I said that to myself, for somebody to move into a house and then move out so quickly and take two children and put them in a hotel room, something had to be going on. Was there any uh, history of activity uh, surrounding Michelle in the past? Had she ever lived in other houses that were active? I, I, when I did the when I did the pre-investigation interview, I had asked her that, and she said no. Um, coincidentally, she had informed me that the tenants before her did not fulfill their lease; that they were only there for a year. Okay. They, did, they, did, they did not fulfill out their year, so. Um, she said she had done a history on the house. There was no significant history on the house itself, except for the fact that some man had passed away, but peacefully in his old age. There was no significant history. So we we couldn't. I couldn't figure it out based on the phone call, but I just had a gut feeling based on her her desperation. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing too. As investigators, you know, you can tell when somebody needs the help and when somebody needs. Uh, you know, some kind of an answer. And sometimes you go into this and as an investigator, you want to find, you know, true evidence of the paranormal. But when you see somebody who's that upset, you also want to be able to tell them, hey, look, I think it's this. I think it's just this. And and kind of uh, assuage their fears a little bit, too. Oh, yeah. And I tried to do that. And I tried to convince her. Now, the, the other thing is there was a miscommunication where she's she's convinced that it's demonic. 
Um, we don't believe it's demonic in nature whatsoever. Um, for the mere fact, when she goes to the hotel, she's okay. Because I, I followed up with her after the investigation. When she goes to the hotel, there's no activity. She's fine. Nothing bothers her. Um, it's only at this particular house. Um, so she seems to feel demonic. We don't feel demonic, but we do feel it's an intelligent haunting. And and it's it's probably not poltergeist activity because, as you kind of alluded to uh, earlier in the discussion, you know, having a preteen uh, in the house sometimes poltergeist activity can be a manifestation of unknown telekinetic abilities from that uh, preteen, and that would probably follow her to the hotel as well. I would assume. Correct. So now, when you actually went there and you, and you conducted the investigation, was was the family sleeping there at the time? Had they gone back? Uh, to the house, or were they still staying in the hotel while you were conducting this investigation? There's to this day, they're still at the hotel. <laughs> that's going to be pretty pricey. That's, that's probably cost them three times as much as uh, as renting the house might have. Exactly, they're still at the hotel, and um, I did my best, even when this happened, to explain to her that there's something going on here. We won't know until we have all the evidence reviewed, but from what we've seen, there is something going on, but it's it's not going to hurt you. Whatever it is, is not out to hurt you. It, it likes you. It answered yes. It's, for some reason, it's attracted to you. It's not going to hurt you, um, but she would only leave her belongings there. She would not go, she would not stay. Well, I mean, I don't want to. Uh, th- this is in no means uh, to discredit you guys. I don't mean this is any any offense to you as investigators. But isn't it possible that if it was demonic, it might want to make you think that too? It might want to appear to be just a regular haunting to you guys, and then when you're gone, you know, then it might actually start to oppress them a little bit more. I well, my only feeling was that in all of her trips back and forth to the house because she does go there on a daily basis to pick up stuff, to drop off stuff. Uh, she's going back and forth to the house on such a frequent basis that my feeling is if it was demonic, something would have happened by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says... Okay, Tim, I hear what you're saying. It could be a trickster spirit. I mean, there is that possibility, but it's, she doesn't stay in the house long enough, and we really weren't in the house long enough to really gather all the information we need to see what truly is going on there. Sure. We need we need more time. Now, it, it's you guys haven't been the only paranormal group to investigate this house either. There's been more than one group that's gone there, right? One other group went. Sure, Paranormal went. And um, they had evidence of, they had a bowling set for, for kids. Uh, you know, one of those bowling sets and one of the pins fell down um, but with all due respect those pins were on carpeting mm-hmm. and they were made out of plastic so in that sense I don't I don't want to sound like a skeptic but I want to say anything could have made that pin fall down sure well even and, even the shore paranormal research society has has said that it's you know they they're not ready to classify the house as completely haunted Mm-hmm. I, know, I know the how the group dynamics might work, though. That's you know sometimes when groups kind of cover the same territory, you know you gotta tread lightly when discussing uh, each other's work. Uh, 
but in terms of you know just the fact that these people now are spending the money that they spent to move into this house, which I'm sure you know wasn't costly because if you're just if you're just moving into a house, you're probably paying first month, last month a security deposit, so you're laying down a whole bunch of cash just to get into the house, and then not to mention the fact that you know now you're on the hook for that lease. And at the same time, you're also paying this, what's got to be an exorbitant hotel bill. So there's got to be a significant event happening there to make you want to spend this kind of money. And I'm just afraid that it's going to be a very difficult thing to prove in a court of law to be able to get that money back. I mean, I haven't Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. We gave her all the evidence that we had. And um, she, I'm sure, I'm sure, sure, paranormal gave them what they had. Um, but I did because she asked me what I thought, and I did explain to her that to prove a paranormal case in court is going to be extremely difficult, if not impossible. Now, did they mention um, at the beginning before you investigated? Did they mention the possibility of a lawsuit? No. So that's something that's come up afterwards. Uh, as a result of these investigations. Yes. Now, does New Jersey have the law where they are required to disclose uh, if a house has reported paranormal activity? No. Okay. So, I mean, legally, the the owner of the house was under no uh, constraints to have to disclose any information, but, you know, as you said, they, they might not have been aware of anything either. He doesn't believe that there's anything going on whatsoever. You know. I mean, isn't it possible that you have to kind of have the perfect storm of, you know, the activities there and sometimes the right people just have to be in there to make it active? It could be. Very well be. Well, yeah. If you've never, I've never seen anything before. I mean, this thing almost, with the pleasure, it almost like jumped to life when this girl was talking, when this woman was talking. It, I mean, I've seen, you know, flashlights go off like, you know, one or two times during the investigation. This thing went on for 45 minutes, and it's just like we'd get brighter and brighter whenever she started talking about something. It was just almost unreal. Yeah, it definitely it sounds unreal. like uh, it sounds yeah. like it's something that's definitely centering themselves around around these people. Yeah, definitely. You're kind of stuck in that catch-22, though, of... You know, they think that they're in a haunted location, and it could just be—it could be something that is following them and only can manifest in that house for some reason. Maybe there's certain factors. I mean, have you, in your investigation of the home, have you found any specific factors within the house that might lend itself to a haunting? Things like, you know, a, a lot of field stone in the foundation. Is there any strange electrical current? Is there running water nearby? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing, nothing. like that. There was nothing. Nothing. That's what really. We had no irregular electrical, um, you know, elements go off at all during our investigation. Um, that really threw us, and we could find also, you know, no EVP, nothing. The only way this thing wanted to communicate was through this flashlight. Mm-hmm. And this flashlight belonged to uh, Joe and our group, who was an ex-police officer in New York City. And he, he, he had gray hairs growing out of his head that night when this <laughs> happened because he's the biggest skeptic in the world, i got to tell you. And he was just banging on the floor after the session trying to make this flashlight go on and off because he could not believe this thing had happened to him. Um, but uh, it, it it happened. It really happened. So I, I just can't imagine, though, as, as thorough as it sounds as your investigation was, 
it's going to be very, very hard to even, first of all, to even get a lawyer that's willing to, uh, you know, be be the plaintiff in this case, uh, along with this family, because it's going to be such a not only such a hard thing to prove, but you got to think now your reputation as investigators is going to be on the line in this in this court hearing, uh, and. Also, kind of the, the paranormal as a field in general is, is going to be called into question as well. It's going to be something where you might not get a group of people that are ready to accept this kind of stuff, and uh, that, that might weigh heavily on the decision that's made. Well, did you hear who's going to be, where it's going to be held, the, the court case? No. Well, well here you can break the news now. Um, it's supposed to be on the People's Court on TV. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, who, who's, so, the, who's um, the presiding judge on that right now? Uh, okay. Yeah. So, and, um, well, we've been told that she's going to allow in evidence uh, the video, which is the video that I took of that night. Also, you guys might uh, actually have to be involved in the program? Um, she's asked, the court case has already been done. Okay. We don't, we don't know the outcome. Because they're going to not um, be able to tell you until it airs. Right, two months, right. She has to wait two months give any interviews or uh, discuss the case, but the case has been heard, and um, for legal reasons, um, it was actually his attorney that advised that it be heard in uh, people's court. This is my understanding from Michelle, that it be heard in people's court um, because he's also suing her. Yeah, well, for, I'm assuming for, for the fact that they're trying to break that lease. Well, yeah. now he's suing her because now he can't rent the the apartment. Oh, that's bogus. That That's totally bogus. <laughs> the whole reason he wants to go on the people's court is so that it will draw more attention to this house and that people are now going to want to rent that house. He's going to end up charging double the rent by the time that episode airs. Probably. Exactly. He's going to have a line of people waiting up there to, to, to get involved. I know people who would you know, love to live there on a, and experience this on a daily basis. Probably when he realizes he, what it's going to be worth, maybe he'll, uh, he'll appreciate it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's gonna, that's going to make it even more interesting. I, I, I was thinking about how this would kind of readily get thrown out of a regular courtroom. You know, if this was being heard in the local, you know, district courthouse, there's a good chance it wouldn't even make it before a judge or, or before a jury. But in the exactly. people's court, it's it's going to be heard now. I can't imagine that they're not going to air this case, considering it's how much attention it's made for TV, like, yeah. Exactly. People's court. <laughs> and I just remember the, uh, you know, the old Judge Wapner days. You know, I can only right. imagine how, or Mills Lane even, how they would take something like this. But uh, Judge Millian might be a little bit more... Uh, Accepting of the idea of the paranormal. The, the problem. Oh, I is, think so. Sorry, I really think so. When she shows the tape on uh, on air, um, the courtroom's going to gasp. They're going to gasp from the scenes when when she asks questions and it starts flooding with flashlight. Mm-hmm. It's going to be dramatic. I think. Of course, now though, with this evidence being used as part of the program, uh, I'm sure that now that's under uh, a confidentiality agreement, and you can't actually show the footage to anybody until the episode airs. Correct. Yeah, that's. How these TV people work, but uh, what I what I find to be the most interesting about this now is looking at this from the perspective of somebody who watches the paranormal media and, and kind of tries to keep my thumb on the pulse of this now. Uh, you know, they're gonna. I, I think that there's going to be a directive there to kind of play up the paranormal aspect and to be accepting of it. So I don't think even if Judge Millian wanted to kind of 
you know, uh, dismiss this in her own mind, uh, they're, they're going to play it up because it's going to make yes. for a more dramatic episode and it's going to be something that's of interest to people. Exactly. Someone told me uh, the other day that they heard something like uh, they were talking about upcoming on the people's court, like the first case of uh, paranormal. And you hear it on the court. And I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. You know, they're promoing it already. Yeah. Well, the, the first case in the people's court maybe, but there has been uh, cases in the past that have been heard uh, in front in actual courtrooms uh, regarding the paranormal, of course. You look at the Bell Witch case from an American haunting right. and, and some of these other cases, and you know, sometimes they fare well, sometimes they don't. Right. So now, with this case being settled through the people's court, uh, how much uh, investigation can still be taking place in this house? Are, are, are these people basically still uh, the leasers of the property? Are they still uh, in charge of the property until this case is heard, or have they completely relinquished their right to it now? They they still have their belong. My understanding, um, and I haven't spoken to Michelle in about a week now, but the last time I spoke with her, my understanding is that her belongings are still in the house. So she's still being held accountable for the rent. And, um, yeah, well, in the hotel. Racking up a pretty big bill there. Hopefully, the, uh, you know, I'm sure the people's court appearance money will take care of some of that too, even if they don't win the case. Right. Well, I, have to, I hope so for her. Now, because, you know, I have to, you know, just reemphasize what Pam said. Um, Really, you had to be there to believe it. To, you know, and if somebody told me the story about the 45-minute session, I would kind of half hear it out and half be skeptical about it. And um, I can honestly say that out of, out of our whole group, I tend to be more on the cynical side sometimes, and I would not have believed it if I didn't see it with my own eyes that this flashlight actually made itself go into an off position and then onto an on position and even brighten, you know, get brighter and brighter the more Michelle talked. It also responded to us when we asked questions. Well, uh, but not to... I was going to say, how does that uh, compare with some of the other evidence that you've captured in some of your other cases? I mean, to have that kind of direct communication with the spirit. Our other evidence has basically been EVPs. Mm-hmm. And we've also gotten measurements on our, um, you know, um, various electrical uh, you know, meters that we use. But again, in this house, we didn't have any meters go off, so all the electricity and everything registered fine in the house. So it, we couldn't figure out again. They didn't see any electrical irregularities in the house. See, I mean, I don't want to kind of, I don't want to speculate too much into ghost theory here, but. Uh, to me, you know, when, when people do feel like something is a demonic haunting, I find that there are cases such as that where, you know, they have this activity happening, but there's no correlation of data on the meters and everything because the demonic works outside of the same realm of physics that ghosts use uh, to manifest. So the, the, the demonic is able to cause havoc without going through the normal motions that a, that a regular human spirit would. What I find is interesting here is the couple's pastor, Terrence Sullivan, uh, has told newspapers that he's certain that there is demonic possession uh, within this property. Now, I don't know if you guys know much about Pastor Sullivan or if you've dealt with him at all. No. Uh, that would be something that I think would be 
you know, he's really putting his neck out on the line, I'd assume, to to make a statement like that to the media, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think he had just like one line in that article that he, he believed that it would be demonic. He sort of like echoed what they said, I believe, in that article. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the the thing that I am thinking here is if they get him involved <laughs> in the people's court, you know, and he, oh. he starts getting involved and they mention this, it, it's only going to help the case for the uh, for the family, but at the same time, mm-hmm. I think he has the most to lose uh, by saying that, too. Yeah. I mean, they, they said that like, when things would happen, they would happen in groups of three, you know, alluding to the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Or mocking, you know, like, mocking uh, the Trinity, yeah. Fall or you know three, three um, you know three pu- pushes they felt you know pushed or something everything would happen in groups of three they would say. And it was, I mean that didn't seem to be the case with what was happening with you guys though, right? It wasn't in groups of three when you're having this flashlight session. No, 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 nothing appeared in groups of three that we could discern from what was going on. No, that's at night now. Is there going to be uh, any chance for you guys to get in there at all anymore before the family's officially out? We hope so, um, but we're not sure. Like I said, um, last time I spoke to her was about a week ago, and I'm hoping she'll call us back because she she has, you know, she has a copy of the evidence and she has our DVD player and a monitor. So I'm hoping when we get that stuff back, we can make arrangements to get back into the place. Or at least make sure that you you definitely get your stuff back at least, or else you might have to take them to the people's court too. There you go. (laughs) That that sounds like a little bit more of a cut and dry case. uh, There you go. Now, what about this area? I've been to Tom's River, New Jersey. I've been down there uh, before in the past. And uh, what what about the whole area as a whole? I mean, is is it very active? I got to do some research because you know what's funny, Tim? I just got a phone call tonight from a woman who was telling me about how um, she had a house for a couple of years and she had her house cleansed several times because she was hearing things and seeing things. And now she just moved into an apartment in January and she needs somebody to come out right away because now she's actually seeing things. She's actually seeing spirits. And... um she also has a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old girl, hmm. and she lives in Tom's River. But as soon as she said she lives in Tom's River, I said, you got to be kidding me. It's starting to sound so, like Derry, Maine, <laughs> a little bit. So, so I don't know what it is with Tom's River, but I really have to look into it because just, I've never heard, I've lived in New Jersey my whole life, I've never heard anything in particular about Tom's River. Mm-hmm. Um and now we're going to have two cases a month apart. Well, I mean, not that this has anything to do with anything, but isn't Tom's River the home, the original home of Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> isn't it Freehold? I think he's Freehold. Freehold, right yeah. Freehold, yeah, but doesn't he doesn't he have a house in uh, in Tom's River? Doesn't he have a farm? He may. Yeah, that's... If he so, wants, he does, I guess, yeah. So I mean, he's the boss. So if we just ask he him, is the boss. if we ask him, he'll tell him, "Hey, tell these, tell all this paranormal to get the hell out of here." He'll do it. He's the boss. They got to listen to the boss. <laughs> but he'll play uh, his music and keep the ghost likes it. And he'll play the ghost of Tom Joad, maybe. But uh, there you go. It, it seems like it's a quiet community, though. It seems like it's a, a pretty. Uh, I think a lot of it is there is a lot of affluent uh, residences there in, in town, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, and it's and not only that, for the most part, it's it's an elderly community. It's not. It's an elderly community. People go there to in New Jersey anyway. What I do know about it is that you know people go there once they retire. Mm-hmm. They go to Tom's River. So, so it's, like, it's like the Florida of New Jersey. It's a little yeah. bit like that, yeah. <laughs> so. Now, in in documenting all the different cases, though, that you have in the area, I mean, does it seem like New Jersey as a whole has a lot of activity? Because, you know, we we talk about here in Massachusetts, we have what's called the Bridgewater Triangle, where there is a concentrated amount of paranormal phenomena of all types. I mean, is that something that happens down in your neck of the woods, too? Is is there UFO sightings, Bigfoot, that kind of stuff? Well, down uh, South Jersey in the Pine Barrens. Mm Mm-hmm. There seems to be a lot of um, Bigfoot sightings, UFO sightings down in the Pine Barrens, um, and that's, that's that's way South Jersey. Um, we're in Central Jersey. That's probably about I'd have to say three hours from here south. Um, there there seems to be a big number of sightings down there. Is it? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of historical things in Massachusetts. I know down there there's a lot of things. Um, we, we do have a lot in New Jersey throughout the state, but like Marion said, a lot of um, sort of like the, um, what do you want to call them, um, the, the animal type fighting, um, the Bigfoot type things, yeah, pretty much in South Jersey, not so much in central or northern New Jersey. I've always found that when I'm in New Jersey, the most paranormal things that I encounter are uh, some of the people that I run into like down in Atlantic City. I hear that. Lang City, about 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. There you go. And uh, it, we always talk about, uh, th- those of us who have been down there, we always talk about how Absicon is like the last bastion of sanity uh, before you get into New Jersey, uh, before you get into Atlantic City. There you go. Yeah. So w- when uh, when you guys are, you know, I'd say how many f- calls do you field, say, a month for people with uh, with potential investigations for you? About, let's see, when it's a full moon, um, no, about, we feel for in-home investigations, probably about 10 to 12 calls a month. Mm-hmm. And out of that, how many, how many do you actually follow through to investigation? Oh, only about, I'd say, three, three to four. So, I mean, it's it's still enough to keep you busy, though. Yeah. And, uh, and we've had people that call up and say things like, can you call me back? I'm seeing faces in my ice cubes. <laughs> uh, do those kind of people warrant to call back? You know, no, no, really not. But I guess tell you, one time we had a phone call for at 4 o'clock in the morning. A woman is calling us to please come out to her house. She's, she's seeing and hearing things. I'm like, 4 o'clock in the morning? you got to be kidding me. I mean, who's calling to me at 4 o'clock in the morning, you know? I'm thinking, like, is this person on crack or what is going on here, you know? Mm-hmm. But we called we called her back later in the afternoon, and these people were, like, just desperate. And um, we called Joe. We went out there the next day. And, you know, Joe's the next cop. So and Marianne and I, we went out there. Um, it turns out we were living in a two-bedroom apartment that was a perfect fear cage. That the wiring in the home was so bad that if you were in there for more than an hour, you got a headache. Oh, I was in there for five to ten minutes, and I had to excuse myself. I couldn't even finish the interview. 
because I my head just started pounding. I started seeing things. I was dizzy, and I said, "I got to get out of here. I need some air." So I went outside, and the second I went outside, I felt much better. When I came back in, um, they had told me that they went around with the meters and everything registered 10 plus um, on the mm-hmm. EFM meters. Everything, every wall they went to, every floor they went to. Um, and it turned out that she was just in this huge fear cage. And what gave it away was she was another one that said, as soon as I leave my, uh, my apartment, I feel just fine. Yep. So we, we explained to her to, to call her landlord and get her house rewired, you know, ASAP. Or ra- that rather, you know, you're going to have to move to another apartment because the sun's not going to rewire her whole apartment. No, yeah. that's probably much would would happen pretty much. But we were able to solve that for her. I mean, she left the TV on, and she left twenty four hours a day. The TV was on, her her lights were on, and all of like, the stereo was on. It's twenty four hours a day. But she was afraid to go to sleep. She was afraid to you know turn off the lights. I mean, she was you know doing part of it to herself. Yeah, and sh- and I'm sure that just the idea of being afraid of what you're feeling is only going to feed into that more and charge it up even more. So now you're reaching the point of total paranoia. Exactly. So, you know, that was one case we went out to. We were able to, you know, help her in that way. And, um, you know, she had to move, but good news is, you know, she didn't have something that was going to move with her. You know, she's going to be okay. Now, you should have told the, these people, by the way, uh, that are in this house in Tom's River that, you know, 28 days is how long you have to stay for them to make a movie about, about you. 28 days. That's the, that's the Lutz, 28 days. That's the, that's the Lutz line, we call it. 28 days. I like that. But uh, now, in all seriousness, though, uh, there has been some speculation that this family, uh, Michelle Callan and her boyfriend and, and, and the children, that uh, they are trying to profit financially from this case, and that that's why they're going to the media with this story. But did you guys get the feeling at all? It sounds like they seem very genuine in in their fears, and that uh, they're not just trying to be an, another Lutz family for the new generation. I did not get that feeling at all. Um, like I said, I just based on the amount of phone calls that I've taken throughout the years, um, the desperation in her voice and the accuracy of what she was telling me. Um, unless she was really good, she she could not have been making it out. Mm-hmm. And and I, I know what I saw that night, and, you know, Pam knows what she saw, and the rest of the team, they know what they saw, and we all could not put, put our heads around it. And, and there's been no, uh, you know, no mention from them at all of... of looking for any more attention you know they didn't they didn't try to set up anything with you guys of, of these interviews uh you know i assume that this is something that the media has been going to you because they find out you're involved in the case but you know they didn't talk about any kind of strategy for getting the word out and publicizing their case yeah she told she told me just the opposite that she didn't she told me the exact opposite that she wasn't taking any phone calls from reporters she wasn't taking any phone calls from radio shows that um she wasn't taking phone calls from anybody. She just wanted to go to court, get this over with, and all she wants back is her security deposit, the hotel fees, and she wants out of her lease. That's all she wants. And I can tell you, I tried to find them on on Facebook and Twitter, and I've tried to find them through all kinds of, you know, the means that I go about to try to find guests, and I couldn't. So I'm assuming that they probably have been deleting themselves from that. Probably. And the guy who they're up against, he's a doctor, so that's 
changed his uh, pocket change to him. He's just doing this to be stubborn at this point, I believe. He yeah. just doesn't want to let him out of the lease. That's, I mean, bottom line, he does not want to let him out of the lease. And that that's a shame because at this point, you know, he's bound to make more money than he is from them. Uh, you know, it's just a matter of finding the right people in there. I, I can think of at least five five people that are in the chat room right now on SpookySouthCoast.com that would move down huh. there. Uh, now, oh, yeah. I don't know if they shared the financial specifics with you or if if you'd feel comfortable discussing that, but I'm assuming it's a it's a pretty decent sized amount of money that they put down to move in. No, it's, it's really not. It's really not. It's several thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, several thousand dollars. So you can you let one of these paranormal shows come down and film and make that money back. Oh, yeah. So now what what is the next step for you guys? What What's the next thing that you're going to be working on? Well, we got the one phone call today that we have our next investigation set up for next Saturday night. We also had... Um, this year we had a large turnover in our group, so we have some new investigators that were in the process of training, um, and we have the new, like I said, the new investigators, and we have our investigators. We have our investigation um, Saturday night um, back in Tom's River. Uh-huh. We do. We have a, a core team of people, and we like to uh, include other people in. So we rotate in like the two new people on an investigation and bring them on as trainees, like so that we have um, a good core of about like sixteen members, and we have trainees also. So when Mary Ann's a train, uh, turnover, it's actually like people that are coming in as trainees. Well, I mean, the good thing is too is being involved with what's become a high-profile case is also going to shine the spotlight in your group as well. So hopefully that makes people more aware that you're out there, and, and you'll get more serious calls that will require investigation. So you're going to need the team to grow. There, there you go. Yep. All right. Again, the website is New Jersey They are Marianne Brigando and Pamela Solomon Maccabee. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you're welcome. Both anytime. Right, and keep us up to date with, with what goes on and what you hear, and, and let us know if you hear about when that episode's going to air. Okay. Oh, we will. All right, thanks. Have a great night. You Thank too. You. Bye-bye. That is, uh, again, Marianne Brigando and Pamela Solomon Maccabee of New Jersey Paranormal Investigators talking about that case that we've been hearing about in Tom's River, New Jersey, where the family is basically stuck you know, holding the bag on this rental place, and, and uh, you know they're moving into this apartment, and... It's supposed to be everything that they wanted uh, as a family, and instead it turns into a nightmare, and it's a haunted place, and now they're trying to <laughs> get their money back in the people's court. It's amazing that uh, y- you know the, the people's court has become <laughs> the standard for some of these places now. It's not, so, it's not so much of let's take this to court here locally. It's like, you know, let's call the people's court. We'll let them decide. And uh, my my favorite is always the disclaimer at the end of uh, every episode that the participants agree to have the people's court decision be the final decision. Who says? What kind of legal authority does the people's court have? Who says it has to be the final call? If it doesn't work out for you there, sure, take it to a regular court. But, uh, yeah, who knows? All right. Well, that about does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week to talk more about the paranormal. And uh, we've got some great shows coming up. Uh, now, Hilly Rose in the chat room uh, is, has popped in in the second hour uh, to say hello, which that means that uh, Chris Balzano, our content director, is uh, back involved with the program. And he's he's been talking with me. He's been having a busy, busy schedule, more more so than the two mats. 
uh, who are yet again not here with me. But uh, he's going to be coming back into this thing full swing, and we've got a whole bunch of shows planned, uh, including some things that we want to do amongst ourselves. We're hoping that we can pull off some sort of Legend Trips event later on this summer in the Bridgewater Triangle, perhaps even in the Freetown State Forest. So stay tuned for details about that. Uh, but in the meantime, there are still four tickets available for the Lizzie Borden Dead of Summer event coming up on August 25th. You've heard us talk about it tonight on the Bio Channel, or if you haven't heard it yet, you can check it out at 2 a.m. on the replay. And I'm sure there'll be replays all week long, and then next week, next Saturday night, they'll probably be replaying too. Uh, it is the episode of My Ghost Story in which myself and Jeff Belanger share our experiences from the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast. So check that out and... In the meantime, go to legendtrips.com if you want to grab those last four tickets. Now, we are also going to be uh, offering up the rooms uh, at a special price, too, a special discounted rate for the evening. But those are going to be on a first-come, first-served basis. So the people who already purchased tickets are going to get the first crack at those. But there's only 25 tickets, and there's four rooms and two suites uh, available. No, wait, did I get that right? I think it's... uh, Four rooms and yes, four rooms and two two room suites uh, available. So, you know, twenty five people. You don't know. Even if you're buying the last four tickets, you could have a crack at a room and get a chance to stay there uh, at a special rate. And if not, we're going to be working out a deal with a local hotel uh, so that you'll be able to stay there as well. Because oh man, after graveyard shift at Slater Mill, what a difference it made to only have to go half a mile down the street and crash instead of uh, well, not crash, fall asleep uh, in the hotel instead of having to go all the way back home from Pawtucket, Rhode Island. So it does make a difference, and uh, if you're out there and you're out for having a good time, it's worth spending the extra money to get a room because these events are draining. Not only are they uh, a lot of energy and activity in the course of the normal event, but you got to think if the paranormal is out there, it's draining your energy uh, to be able to fuel itself. So, you know, as far as uh, as far as I'm concerned, those four tickets – uh, are going to go pretty quickly. And uh, so jump on legendtrips.com if you want to get your chance. I want to thank everybody for hanging out with us tonight. Thank everybody for dealing with me going on my own for another week. Uh, that's kind of the way that it's <laughs> turned into. So uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, hopefully there'll be a full crew here, at least a partial crew, because I'm getting kind of lonely in here. So uh, until then, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg, and we want you all to stay spooktacular.